The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. reading from Acts chapter 14. Acts 14 this morning as we continue studying this New Testament history of the early church. One preacher who had his sermons published on Acts called his message in this portion of the book a tale of three cities. You'll see Paul moving through Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, three places in Asia Minor where some really remarkable things took place. Listen to God's word. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, At Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Lyaconian, The gods have come down to us. In the likeness of men, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer a sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men! Why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering a sacrifice to them. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. 
But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. God's holy word to us. It is a totally false gospel that ever promises anyone something like this. Accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and all your troubles will go away. That is not only untrue, it's actually absurd. Christians would be much better advised to hear someone say, follow Jesus Christ as your Lord, and you'll discover all kinds of new difficulties you never knew existed before. Because walking with Christ by faith is certainly no guarantee against calamity or difficulty or persecution in your life. In fact, being a Christian exposes you to new sources of what we call spiritual warfare and persecution by others who will spurn your faith and mock your witness. Stress and struggle characterize this first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, told in Acts 13 and 14. Remember, they were sent out by their home church in Antioch, They went north in the Mediterranean to the big island of Cyprus. There immediately a representative of the occult came out against them and and harassed them and confronted them. Paul had to deal harshly with that man. And then the proconsul, a high Roman official on Cyprus, believed in Christ. Now they've gone back to the mainland, up to the north in what we would call Turkey today, cities that, generally speaking, you would call part of Galatia. And it still wasn't a walk in the park. Everywhere they went, there was difficulty. There was opposition. They went through these cities of Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, and the theme for this whole passage that I read is given in verse 23, or 22, I'm sorry, where Paul, or where the summary is given here, that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I want to take up that theme for you first of all here. Through many hardships, we will enter the kingdom of God. That is not saying that it is difficult to enter the kingdom of God. That is not saying that the salvation offered in Jesus Christ is complicated, that you have to be a well-educated expert to figure it out or anything like that. Quite the contrary. There are many people who say, why, your message that all I have to do is trust my life to Christ without reservation is too easy. I don't see how something that simple could be true. It is simple. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ are not a complex thing. It should not be made that way. But still, once you enter the kingdom of God, once you pass through the gateway of faith in Jesus as Lord, you begin to see difficulties, ups and downs and rocky places and heights to climb and obstacles to confront. I was glad to see that our Sunday school curriculum for adults starting next quarter has a study of John Bunyan's little commercial I'm putting in here, a study of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, wonderful book. 
If you've never digested it, you should spend some time with it. And Bunyan's whole theme is the, is the rough path of the Christian life. Everything you have to go through, of course, in allegory form, of what the Bible says a Christian will deal with, temptations, difficulties, angry people, all kinds of things. Well, in chapter 13, we saw that encounter already with, as I said, an occult leader, a kind of wizard, prophet figure, and it was tough. And we also made notice of the fact that in chapter 13, verse 13, it told us that John Mark, this is the same Mark who wrote the gospel by that name, turned back. He was the companion, the the junior helper in some way of Paul and Barnabas. He left. He went back home. We're not told why. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe he was like a lot of young people setting out on ministry, thinking it's all glamour. You get to, you know, speak and be under the spotlight. And he had a romanticized idea of ministry. He didn't think it involved, perhaps, the the difficult, tough things that he saw going on. We don't know why. John Mark did not abandon his faith, but he abandoned his post and left. And, uh, you know, I think that's a little bit of a lesson to tell us that Christians who are not necessarily sinning but are just doing things sometimes that let us down or that we didn't count on can put obstacles in our path, and we don't need to blame them for that. But nevertheless, we can have spiritual discouragement when we lose companions in our, in our walk of faith. Well, we see here how in the initial part of this chapter 14, the gospel is dividing people. It's bringing joyful good news and hope to some people, to others antagonism to the point that they're practically cursing. And that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2 that would happen. To one person, he said, we are like the stench of death. To others, we are the fragrance of life. It's still that way. That's what the gospel does. To some people, a whiff of the gospel stinks. And to other people, they say, oh, wonderful. This is, this is from God, surely. The gospel still does that. These apostles found their difficulties weren't just having rocky roads or bandits along the path or having to sleep outdoors or not find food easily. Their difficulties were mostly spiritual. People who rose up against them and literally threw daggers at them of various kinds because they were representing something that was the stench of death to these opponents. I think of, of people who have peaceful lives who might have kept those peaceful lives but for acting on their conscience as Christians. It comes to my mind a piece of history many of you know about the family of Corey Ten Boom the Dutch woman who's been at home with Christ now for a number of years. But her story was quite famous of how she was in a family in Amsterdam as the Nazis invaded and occupied that city, put under restrictions. But nevertheless, the Ten Boom family as Christians were watchmakers, a peaceful occupation, which they could still carry out, repairing watches and so on. They had their little shop and uh, they lived above it, and their life would be okay. The, the German army wasn't going to bother them, except their Christian conscience said, you need to hide Jews in your attic. And as soon as they did that, 
they became targets, of course, for a murderous animosity which hauled them off to prison camp where a couple of them died and Corey barely survived to tell her story to the world. That's what Christianity does. It'll make you a target. Maybe not of something quite that drastic, but nevertheless, you're going to draw fire that is at the gospel, and it's going to hit you on the way to being aimed at the gospel. There are going to be times where maybe you'll have to ask yourself, is my primary motivation just to have a life that is low-profile so that I can, as best possible, enjoy peace? Who wants to be a target? Who wants to be criticized? Who wants to be ostracized? Who wants to lose friends or be in conflict with family members who are not believers? If I would just keep my profile down, none of that would have to happen. The Ten Booms could have thought that way, and a couple of them would have lived a lot longer, quite probably. You know, if the world doesn't find you a target and only speaks well of you all the time, that might be because you've become too much like the world rather than like Christ. In the second place, I want to move on to see what's happening here with Paul and Barnabas. My second point has the name of the sermon at the very startling thing that happened in the town of Lystra as these two went from adoration to attempted murder, apparently in a matter of days. Great wonderment. Paul healed a man in the name of Jesus. Interesting that it says he was able to look at the man and see somehow that he had he had faith. I, I can see sometimes, you know, some of your faces are very impassive and stone-like, but other times I can see someone who's really drinking in what's being said, and I can tell they're, they're responding with, with faith. That's what Paul must have seen here. And he told this man, get up and walk. And it was clear that a miracle had happened, and people were amazed. Now, there's just a little thing that will help you to know about this, what happened next. One is a point to notice that they were speaking in their Lyaconian language there. That is noted by Luke, and I think that helps explain something. When they said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Here's what they were talking about. There's an actual known story by Ovid, the Roman poet, set in the region of Lyaconia, this very locale, in which... Again, this is mythology, Roman mythology, but Ovid wrote this story about how the god Zeus, who's a false god, and Mercury, or Hermes, who's the messenger god, remember, both came down to earth in Lyaconia as men seeking a place of hospitality for some reason, and they went from house to house to house to house to house, and they were turned away in countless places. Finally, a little peasant hovel offered them a place to sleep for the night, And their grace note on that day of rejection was to call down lightning and fire from heaven to destroy all the houses that had turned them away. That's what's in view here. These people knew that legend. Okay? And now they had seen something supernatural happen before their eyes. And they, they said, oh, our legend is come true. This is Zeus and Mercury. Why, we better pay homage to these men. And you see what happens here. There was actually a temple to Zeus, and they were 
saying all this in Lyaconian, which Paul and Barnabas didn't speak, and they didn't quite understand for a moment, I guess, or a little while, what was happening until they were leading the cow in to the temple to slaughter it, to sacrifice to them as gods. And all of a sudden, Paul got it. (laughs) He said, whoa, don't do this. We are just men. Do you see how many fingers I have? Want to count my toes? I'm a man like you. We are not gods. Do not put us in this position. This is absolutely wrong. You know, Satan was setting them up there for a field day if they had accepted that kind of adulation. Maybe you say, well, perhaps they should have, you know, let the people do it. They would have been paying much better attention when they preached. No, absolutely not. Those who bear the message of a great Savior have got to keep their people's eyes directed on the great Savior, not their own greatness. One of the side issues this makes me think of is the way we in evangelical Christianity have tended very much to give too much sway to the cult of celebrity by our leaders and our preachers and our teachers and our counselors and our authors. We need to be very careful that we don't give adulation to men and women that belongs to Christ. Back in my student days, I actually marvel a little bit at some of the people that I went to school with. There are some people that are heads of major, major international ministries and national ministries whose names have become almost household words. I was contacted not long ago by an organization here in Lancaster County that's planning a big anniversary coming, and and they asked, and I was you know, wasn't offended that they asked, but they said, well, we know that you went to school with blank. We won't mention the name, but this individual is an internationally famous speaker and author. And they said, well, we would like to get this person to speak for our event coming up. Could you help us? Could you, could you possibly do a letter of introduction or a phone call or something that might, you know, kind of grease the skids a little bit? And I had to say, look, this person and I were friends, we probably still would call ourselves friends, except I haven't talked to him in 12 years. And, you know, he really doesn't know me that well, and he's, he's dwelling at a sort of different level of the Christian stratosphere than I am now. And I can tell you, my letter, my phone call, my email isn't going to help any more than yours in breaking through the ring of handlers. And let me tell you, there are handlers, you can't get past them, that surround the Christian celebrities. Now, I don't think my friend has given way to believing his own publicity too much, but I'm concerned about the Christian celebrity cycle. It's a dangerous thing. And here we see Paul, thankfully, stepping away from it and not allowing anything like it. But no sooner does he spurn that worship. But you see that these same citizens of Lystra who wanted him to be a deity, once they realize he's not, don't have any use for him. What happens here is absolutely astonishing how fast it happens in verse 19. The the Jews come in from Antioch who had rejected him, and they persuade these same crowds that these guys are not only not deities, they're bitter enemies, and you'd better kill them. And they stoned Paul, it says. I don't know how Barnabas got out of this, but Paul was stoned, dragged out of the city. They supposed he was dead. Probably he was unconscious bloodied. Maybe he had broken limbs. I don't know. 
We're not told here that he was dead and he miraculously came back to life, but he was far enough gone that they assumed they had finished off Paul. Imagine, from adoration to attempted murder in a matter of a couple days. So variable, ladies and gentlemen, is the fickle whim of this world in its religious and philosophical confusion. That's one reason I don't want the adoration of people thinking I'm a celebrity because they'll probably set me up and knock me down the next day. And doesn't this remind you of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt as they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise the Son of David. And we think there probably were some of the same voices saying five days later, crucify him. Amazing. God is not received as Lord on his own terms. People want God to be on their terms where they can come with adulation and and their own applause and their own schemes. They just as soon commit murder as adore you. Well, finally, we come in Acts 14 to what I want to give you as some closing encouragements here. Notice that as Paul and and Barnabas courageously, they walked back into that city of Lystra, and then they left and went to Derbe where there was a good result to the gospel, and then they retraced their steps to these various towns, strengthening the souls of the disciples, it says in 22, encouraging them. This is, now, this is how they encouraged them. Again, did they say, don't worry, folks, you'll have wonderful lives in Jesus? No, here was the encouragement. Through many tribulations, you will go through the kingdom of God. Trouble's coming for you, and you've already seen how it's affected us. That's how they encouraged the church. Here's one thing I want you to notice here. The people of Lystra actually spoke something that was ironic when they said, the gods have come down among us. God had, in fact, come down among us. His name is not Paul or Barnabas. His name is Jesus. And he wasn't the small g God of Roman myths. He was the God of the Most High. And he came among us and had the similar kind of treatment from an unbelieving crowd who demonstrate their unsaved, unredeemed hearts as they reject the one whom God has sent. The unregenerate mind does not know who to worship or whom to hate. So they treat people with confusion. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, 12 and following a a great word of advice. He said, don't be surprised at painful trials as if something strange was happening to you when they occur. He said, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed of that. Praise God that you bear that name. He went on, he was talking there about, you know, if somebody suffers for their own folly, disobeying God, living immorally, being deceitful, and you suffer for that, that's your problem. But if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. God is actually bringing honor in your life. I think of what's said, too, in 2 Timothy 3, all who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. That doesn't say sometimes some people who live godly might experience persecution. My Bible says all who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. You will stick out. 
I understand in Australia, I'm trying to think of what the expression is. I've been told this by Australian missionaries. There's a thing in Australia, they don't like people who are at all arrogant or egotistical, and they call it cutting down the tall poppies. If you're a poppy that, that sticks up above the rest of the poppies, they'll cut you down. Well, listen, as a Christian, you're going to be a tall poppy. And all your Australian buddies are going to cut you down because they believe that you need that. Know that this is your appointment in Christ, and it's an honor. Second application, notice what Paul and Barnabas did here, something very practical. As they went back encouraging the believers in the churches, it says in verse 23, they appointed elders in every church and committed them to the Lord. Now, this is the first clear mention in the book of Acts of elders being appointed to rule in the church. We believe that elders are the prime officers still today who rule in the church. With apologies to my friend with a job vacancy in Rome, elders are the officers who rule in the church. That was God's appointment. That's the clear lesson of the New Testament. And, you know, here are people needing encouragement. And what more practical thing could Paul do than give them good leaders? Leaders who already had some founding in the Word, who who themselves were sound, who could be wise and helpful. I remember as a child first learning about concrete, a universally used building material today, of course, you all know. You've all watched the big truck with the rolling drum pour concrete out at some time or other. And most of you know, I know there are engineers and technical people here and construction people who know far more than I do about this. But most of you know that one of the real secrets to concrete isn't just getting the mix right. That is important. It has to stick together and not crumble. But also, when you're doing almost any kind of a wall or a column or whatever you're making, you're going to have the iron rebar inside the concrete, right? You've seen that put in? That is so very important. Concrete, all by itself, without reinforcing rod, crumbles pretty badly under stresses or under, under the wear and tear of the elements. But concrete with that reinforcing rod will last many, many times longer than concrete without it. The elders are the reinforcing rods God has given his church to keep it strong and to let it stand in hard times and through difficulty. Third and finally, I'd point out to you the providence of God or the sovereignty of God seen here because it's not merely in spite of difficulties that the church will persevere, but it says through tribulations. Going through them will bring you through the kingdom of God. Not avoiding them, not dodging and running the other way, going through them. The hard things, the stresses, the the gouging away at at parts of you that need to be worked on that, that come through troubles is the Lord's way of making you stronger and doing things that he wouldn't do any other way. You know, think of the loss of John Mark here as a young associate. Let me remind you of something. Timothy is another young man in the New Testament. It's not told in this passage, but actually we'll encounter it fairly soon, as Paul revisits Lystra in a later chapter. Guess who came from Lystra? Timothy. Eunice, his mother, 
and Timothy, a believing son, were almost certainly evangelized by this trip to Lystra. This trip that cost Paul a stoning and this incredible rejection and hardship gained a great leader for the future of the church, Timothy. Now, if you had asked Paul as he was laying there in the road waiting for his friends to find him, bleeding with one eye barely popped open, are you going to think that this treatment in Lystra was worth it, Paul? I probably would have said, no way. I wonder if you had asked him 10 years later when he saw Timothy standing strong, strengthening the churches, going about, fulfilling his office in the apostolic manner, was it worth it that that rough trip to Lystra brought you a Timothy? Paul might have said, of course, it was worth it. It was God's will. The Christian faith, folks, advances under fire. It still does. They aren't stoning too many people on our American scene these days, but let your faith stick out, and you'll know about it. Others have all kinds of ways of letting you know of that. If you seem to be under some kind of opposition in relationships of yours now, first of all, don't think it's something odd or weird. It's absolutely normal. And be willing to wait in faith to see the end that God is going to bring about as you patiently endure. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. Not maybe, you will have it. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. I'm over all of this. The whole thing unfolding, I'm over it. I know what's going on. I know the ends that are going to come for you. May we then recover, rediscover the kind of fortitude and hope that Paul had as he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4. Listen to this as I close. Paul said we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're often perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed because we carry about in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in us. May you discover that in your own circumstances. God bless you in learning that hard lesson. Father, I thank you that your word is realistic You haven't given us promises of soft beds or conflict avoidance or pain-free discipleship. I pray that we'd be able to look realistically at what we're going through, maybe even look at some things that we have flinched back from or withdrawn from facing because we just wanted to be comfortable. I pray, O God, that you'd teach us obedience in the circumstances where you find us to your glory and praise, so that the life of Jesus might be seen in us. Amen.